0: And in careers in plant physiology to see if they could find scientific evidence for the afterlife, said Feather. One of the first places they looked was in the dark, stuffy parlor room of Mina Crandon, a prominent medium who often performed seances clad only in a dressing gown and stockings. The Rhines found her performance risible. As Stacy Horn recounted in her fascinating book, Unbelievable Investigations into Ghosts, Poltergeists, Telepathy, and Other Unforeseen Phenomena from the Duke Parapsychology Laboratory, The Rhines published their account of Crandon's fakery in 1927 in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology, making an argument that would be turned against them for the rest of their lives. If we can never know to a relative certainty that there was no trickery possible, no inconsistencies present, and no normal action occurring, we can never have a science and never really know anything about psychic phenomena. What Rhine wanted was proof verifiable, scientific, replicable proof. But this put him in kind of a no-man's land. He was too skeptical to be a glassy-eyed believer, willing to mistake goose-fat-covered cheesecloth for ectoplasm, but not so skeptical that he dismissed the entire possibility of psychic phenomena. At the same time, religion had no use for his work, and may have even seen it as a threat. or noted that if Rhine's work was successful, it might offer up alternative explanations for phenomena previously considered miraculous. If you look at it, both sides were rooting against him, she said in a recent phone conversation. What Rhine did have going for him, however, was sheer force of character. Passionate about his research, led by his understanding of scientific method, and supported by his wife and partner who believed in his work just as strongly as he did, Rhine was ideally suited to drag psychic phenomenon away from the tipping tables and Ouija board and into the world of science. In 1927, McDougall, Rhine's mentor in psychology and psychical research, moved to Duke University. The Rhines soon followed. Rhine taught psychology as an instructor, but the bulk of their work in the first few months was devoted to analyzing the copious records of a man called John Thomas, who had compiled 750 pages of notes on conversations he had with his late wife via spirit mediums. Rhine satisfied himself that the mediums referred to information about Thomas and his wife that they could not have accessed through conventional means, but, he noted, that didn't mean the information was actually coming from the deceased. It could just as easily be coming from Thomas's mind. This, to Rhine, was a much more plausible avenue for research the ability of the human mind to gain information outside of basic limiting principles such as time, space, and physics. These abilities, which he was convinced existed, he termed extrasensory perception. He did that, he wrote at the time, in order to make it sound as normal as may be. Rhine abandoned the search for proof of survival after death and instead began to focus on ESP. His first efforts at testing telepathy were informal, He used a numbered card or a normal playing card to see whether subjects, regular people, usually students, and not mediums or people who had built a reputation as being psychic, could guess the card without seeing it. What he found, however, was that people tended to have favorite cards, and would suggest those rather than try to really guess what card was being held up. Ryan wanted an entirely new set of cards, featuring images that had no previous associations in the minds of his subjects, before this he turned to his colleague in the psychology department, psychologist Dr. Carl Zener. Zener, whose usual work was focused on conditioned responses, think Pavlov's dogs, selected the five simple symbols: the star, the square, the circle, three wavy lines, and the cross, because people didn’t seem to have a bias towards any one. The Zener deck came with five sets of the five symbols, meaning that the chances of guessing the first card correctly was one in 5, but the chances of making 10 or more correct guesses in a run of 25 cards was about 1 in 20. Nothing magical about the method, but it was simple, could hold attention, subject to evaluation, etc., a paradigm for how ESP could be tested, explained Feather. Feather, who was born in 1930, grew up at Duke with her father's work. She remembers her mother using Zener cards to test neighborhood children around the kitchen table in their Durham home. The tests were fun and popular with the Duke students, so they had no shortage of subjects. In 1931 alone, Ryan conducted 10,000 ESP tests with 63 students, many of whom he found scored better than chance. Some scored so well above chance so as to be statistically significant, including Duke Divinity graduate student Hubert Pierce, who once made 25 consecutive correct guesses, a full run of the Zener deck. Meanwhile, Ryan had begun to gather a team of graduates and...